Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it will do what you set it out to do. And we don't always know what that is that it's going to do in our lives, how it will change us or transform us, but we need to trust you, trust your word. I pray this morning that as we discover more about this idea of joy in you, that we would become happier people for your sake. So help us to know Jesus better and therefore be more joyful in him. Um, it is a season now of joy, but we should be marked with joy every day. So I pray that you would do that work in us now. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So a couple of weeks, uh, maybe actually more like a month and a half ago, I went to a Packers game. And I did not take out my phone for pretty much the whole game, right? So, like, my wife's like, get a picture, get a picture. And I was like, never pulled my phone out. I didn't get any pictures or videos. And then there's just this point in the game. It's, it's now, not, I mean, if you're a Packers fan, you've got to understand how incredible this is. It's now night, right? It was the 3.30 game. So by the end of the game, it's dark. And the, the stadium lights are on. The Packers are on the field, and it starts to snow Oh, it is an incredible feeling to stand there in Lambeau Field. I've never been in Lambeau Field before. I've been a Packers fan my whole life. And all of a sudden, we're beating the Seattle Seahawks. And I'm watching it snow. It's dark. It's cold. I'm like, this is everything. This is the experience that I wanted when I came here. And so I'm like, I need to pull my phone out and get this image and just capture this moment of the snow falling over Lambeau from my seat. And then as I pull out my phone, I hit record, and the Packers pull off their biggest play of the entire game, and I got it all on camera. And not only is it on camera, but I've got, like, excellent stable footage, too. I mean, you guys would think I was a professional photographer. Okay, so I got this, and then I zoom out, and it's snowing. I mean, this is an incredible video. If I had been better, okay, so I wanted to show it to you, but there's a lot of people around us in that video who like to yell things that we don't yell in church, so I thought maybe I shouldn't show you the video, and then I thought I could show it on mute, and I was like, that's not going to have the same feel, so I thought maybe if I described it for you. My, the reason I share that with you is because it brought me so much joy. You can probably tell how happy it made me feel. Like, this is, this is it. That's, that's what I wanted to experience. It wasn't too cold, but it was cold. Just a little bit of snow, not too much snow. It didn't snow before on our way there. It didn't really snow after at all on our way home. It was just perfect. And I catch the, the best play of the game on video, and it's just, it was just amazing. And then I came back, and I'm like showing everybody, like, watch this video, watch this video, watch this video. Every Packers fan I know, like, watch this video. If you haven't seen it yet, come see me. All right? So, so I share that to tell you that that is who we are as people. We love to share with others the things that bring us the most joy. Joy in God, joy is the most profound expression of treasuring God that we could possibly declare or reveal. Just like the way I interact with the Packers and with you, and like, oh, because I love the Packers so much, because they are a treasure to me, not more than God, but they are a treasure to me, I like to share that joy with others. Our joy is directly tied to the thing that we love and value the most. 
Meaning, whatever we treasure, that we will rejoice in. We will praise that which we love most, and we will find exceeding joy in that which we value most. Now, the application of this truth, I think, is obvious just by simply evaluating what you think about most or care about most or do the most or invest in the most or the thing that gives you the most joy. Whatever that is, that is your treasure. And what Psalm 20 verse 5 shows us is that there is no greater treasure than God and therefore there should be no greater joy in our life than God. So in Psalm 20 verse 5, David, the author, says, May we shout for joy over your salvation. Now, throughout Scripture, we find the word joy everywhere. It is one of the central themes of the entire Bible. And I would say, if if I had more time this morning or had more sermons to to jump into joy, I, I would venture to express to you and show you through Scripture that joy is the most profound and elemental aspect or characteristic of a Christian. Because joy will come from holiness. And throughout scripture we find joy everywhere. And John Piper says that our joy in God is our greatest endeavor and I agree with him. And he says it like this. Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Translation, when God is your greatest joy, He gets his greatest glory in you. When you're most satisfied in him, when he is your greatest treasure, when you are most excited about him more than anything else in your life, when he is your greatest pleasure in life, that satisfies him. I mean, consider this same concept in your marriage. I mean, how would it feel if your wife came to you, men, and said, I don't need you, I'm happy without you? (laughs) You'd be like, ow, right? That's crushing. Nothing would bring you less joy. I mean, that would, be, that would defeat my joy. That wouldn't satisfy a husband. And think about how good it feels when your wife comes to you and shows you her need for you or her dependence for you or, or wives when your husbands show their need and dependence on you. We're getting ready this morning to go to Christmas, uh, Christmas with our family after church we're going to leave and this morning my wife is like throwing stuff in bags and she's making sandwiches for after church and I'm like if she weren't here we wouldn't even be packed yet like <laughs> I am completely dependent on her to leave this house on time and have everything in order and so it feels good to be needed when your wife says to you can you fix the broken sink and then you do, and she goes, oh, honey, what would I do without you? And you're like, oh, you know, us men, we get a big head, we're like, well, you know. So it feels good to be needed, though, right? It feels good when others depend on you, and that's because God made us in his image. And part of his image is that we get to experience the sliver of his nature that feels good when others need us and depend on us. It's the same thing with God. God loves, it feels good to God when we depend on him. When we need him, he likes to be needed. And he likes to be needed because God alone knows how much we genuinely need him. He is far more aware of your need for him than you are aware of your need for him. And so it brings him great pleasure. In fact, it gives him his greatest glory in you 
when you are most dependent on him. Because as we become dependent on him, he becomes very satisfying. So, we are a lot like God in that we love to feel needed, but there's a big difference between God and us. We are not as dependable as we want to be. God, however, fully dependable. And our sin nature, our sin nature perverts our dependability as well as our desire for dependence on others because we are far too confident in ourselves and it leads us to go solo or, or to go off on our own or to be alone or to think we can handle it by ourselves and in that loneliness, in that solo route, there is a massive lack of joy because in that solo route, sin lurks in your loneliness and boredom. So we don't like to depend on others. We like to do it on our own. But we want to be dependable to others, and we can't fully because we're sinners. God, however, is completely dependable, and thus, when we depend on him, not only does he satisfy everything we need, and not only does he satisfy his truest version of him, but he also satisfies, it satisfies us to receive the fullness of his help. Unlike a husband who can only do so much, God can be depended on fully and completely for everything. And when we depend on him, and when we trust on him, and when we rely on him, and, and when we go to him, and when we tell him that we need him, and when, when God fulfills when it fulfills God's joy in us that we are fulfilling our role in depending on him. So he gets this pleasure. God gets the pleasure of us going to him and going, I can't do this without you. I need you fully and completely. To try anything in life without you is going to be a catastrophic failure, God. I am fully dependent on you today. I'm dependent on you for my alarm to go off in the morning, for the coffee to taste good. I'm dependent for my way my children behave. I'm dependent on you to get to work on time, that there won't be an accident, that, there, that, that if it's snowing, you'll get me there safely. I'm dependent on you to do a good job at work, to fulfill my obligation at my, at my workplace. I'm dependent on you that when I get home, my wife and my, or my husband or my children will be there safe and happy. I'm dependent on you that this paycheck comes through. I'm dependent on you that, that, that we're going to have food to eat. I'm dependent on you that our church will, will, will be by our side and, and stand with us. I'm dependent on you to make it through every day, every detail. I'm dependent on you for my very next breath. Amen. All the things in life, everything in life. I'm dependent on God that my heart doesn't physically explode out of my chest right now. Like, I, I'm dependent on him for everything. The things I think about, the things I don't think about, the things I'm aware of, and the things I'm not aware of. I just, sometimes I wonder, how many times has God saved my life physically and I wasn't even aware of what was happening? <laughs> you know? Like, didn't get hit by a vehicle or something and I didn't, wasn't even aware or something. I don't know. And I just, I just think of all the ways in which I'm dependent on God and not even aware of my dependence on him. And he is fully aware of it. And every time I become aware of that dependence and go to him and say, I need you, that brings him great joy and incredible amount of glory because it shows him our total and absolute dependence on him to be the one who satisfies our souls. And the reason it satisfies God, 
for us to be satisfied in him is because God alone is most aware of how satisfying he truly is. And he's also aware of how much we don't understand how satisfying he truly is. We can understand that God is the most satisfying thing that we could have. But he's also aware that we aren't aware of the degree of satisfaction we can have in him. And I say that because in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says this, Now to him, that's God, that's Christ, who is able to do, listen to these three words, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. This God is capable of doing far more abundantly than your brain can comprehend or think about or conceive of or fathom. So to depend on that God brings him great pleasure because it shows him that we look at him as the ultimate satisfier. And because he truly truly is, when we depend on him, it brings him great joy and great glory to fulfill his role as a genuine God who satisfies his people. Why? Because he loves you. And when he does that, we get something in return. The Bible calls that thing joy. Now, there are a lot of things that God does for us that should cause us to have joy in him. For example, you're here today, which, mean you made, which means you made it through another day, which means you made it through another day with family, another day at work, another night of sleep, you survived another cold or flu or heart attack, you survived another Christmas season, you survived another year, you made it through you ate another meal, you woke up another morning, everything that you've done a million times in your life and you've done it again, all because God has chose for you to do it again and has given you the opportunity to do it again and he has carried you through another day and brought you here. Every detail of our life he's involved in to show you how much you need him. And our responsibility is to respond in joy. Because if we truly understand what he is to us, it will bring us joy. But we can't understand all those details of our life and the ways in which God sovereignly orchestrates us making it through another day because we're dependent on him. We can't understand all of that until we understand one very important thing. And that is salvation. And that's what David's talking about. We rejoice or shout for joy at your salvation. Without salvation in Jesus, we would not and could not care about any of the other benefits that God produces for us in our lives or all the, the joy that he gives us in our lives by, by sustaining us. I mean, think about it like this. When we believe in the gospel, God pours 
his eternal tank of joy into your life. And he fills your heart and your mind with truth. And that truth of his great salvation and your eternal reward and the presence of God in Christ forever becomes your greatest joy. I mean, think about it. When you watch adults get saved, they become the most on fire for Jesus people you know, right? You start your Christian life with a full tank of joy. And then once we're saved, God starts working on us and disciplining us and changing us and transforming us and he blesses us and he gives us peace and hope, all of which create more and more joy in our lives. And then we choose sin in this Christian journey and it starts to deflate our joy and defeat our joy and we have to fight for joy and he fills us with joy and we waste joy and we use joy and we're happy and we're not happy and we're happy. And the Christian life is this arduous difficult, painful, up and down journey of joy and sadness and pain and heartache and good things and bad things and hard things and fun things and easy things and whatever. And, and in all of it, God is just pouring himself into us and showing us over and over our, de- de- our need for him and our dependence on him. And when we recognize it, whether we're at the, the top of the roller coaster or the bottom of the, at the roller coaster, the, the top of the mountain or the, or the valley where the danger and the hardship is, no matter what point we're at, God is pouring joy into us and showing us our need for him. And if we would become aware of it and depend on him, we would experience his presence. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. So we start with a full tank of joy. When we fill our cars with gas... Tank, tank gets full, gas stops flowing, shut off the gas tank, and we drive. We drive, 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 and the gas tank gets empty and empty and empty. But God is not a gas station because God is not stationary. He's always with you. He's always, with, he's always beside you. He's always in you. He's always providing for you. He's always traveling with you. He's in you in the Holy Spirit. So instead of filling up with joy and then getting empty of joy and then having to go back to the God station and get another refill of God, instead, what God is, he's a mobile joy station. He's always with us, always blessing, always giving, always filling us with joy to the point that there is an overflow of joy pouring out of our tank. That should be the Christian life. The reason we operate without joy is not because we have to go find joy. It's because we have to go find God, who is not far, because he's with you. But we choose other things instead, and the result is not joy. Anything but joy. Depression, anxiety, hardships, struggles. A lot of that in our life is self-induced pain and suffering that we put on ourselves because we choose something other than him and it won't produce joy. So when we think about it in terms of filling a gas tank, it sounds kind of messy and problematic, right? Like, so God pours joy into our lives and into our hearts endlessly by pouring himself into us in his Holy Spirit and he doesn't stop pouring. And we like to, with our sin, poke holes in the bottom of the gas tank so it's always leaking. But when you think about God pouring endless joy into your life and you think about that being like a gas station, it's kind of like sounds messy and problematic because, I mean, I was at, so last year when we went to Christmas with our family, so it was about a year ago, we stopped at a quick trip in Milwaukee 
put the nozzle in the gas tank, set it on automatic, put the little trigger down so it filled by itself, went and squeegeed some windows. And then all of a sudden I'm like, what's that sound? It sounds like someone's pouring a gallon of water on the ground. Huh, I'll just keep squeegeeing the windows. <laughs> Come around the car, I'm like, oh, my gas tank is overflowing and it's still pouring out. And there's a huge puddle of gas, so I'm like standing on the curb. Don't want to stand in the gas because we have to drive, you know, and I don't want to get in the car with like gas on my shoes and it stinks like gas in the car. Whatever. So pull it out, go and tell quick trip. I'm like, oh, the gas tank overflowed. It was messy and problematic. So the idea of like being overfilled with something doesn't tend to be like a positive thing. You know, I watch my kids fill up their uh, glasses big with milk, you know, right before bed, all the way to the top. I'm like, why? Why all the way to the top? Why not, like, just leave a little room for yourself? Just, just to pick it up and drink. You know, I don't get it. Like, you know, when you go, that idea of overflowing becomes problematic in our mind. It's, it's a messy thing. But when it comes to God filling us with joy and it overflowing and spilling out, it is intentional. Because the overflow of joy that pours out of us is what the Bible calls and what we call praise. Or as David calls it, shout for joy. As C.S. Lewis says, praise is the pinnacle of joy. So when joy is full and then overflows, we burst from the seams with joy. And we were created to burst from the seams with joy because bursting from the seams of joy is our external and physical praise of God. When our joy is full, God doesn't stop being dependable. So we keep getting filled with joy and then our hearts and our minds cannot contain our desire to burst and then we must express that overflow out of us and into the thing that is giving us that joy, God. So when C.S. Lewis writes about this, he uses an example of watching a really good movie. It's the same example that I shared with you at the beginning about me and that little video of the Packers, right? I'm just so happy I had to share it with you. And C.S. Lewis talks about watching a great movie and he, and he says, you ever watch a movie and it's just this great movie and you want to, what do you do when, you, when, you, when you've seen it? You, you go and tell everybody about it. Oh, have you seen that new movie? It's so good. You have to go see it. Because the movie brought us joy and the pinnacle of that joy, where joy finds its greatest pleasure is when we share it with others, when we express it, when we let it out, when we release it, when we burst at the seams with joy. And that... Part of our nature was in created and intended to become joy in God and praise that burst forth to him. It's literally what a wedding is all about. This is why weddings are weddings. They are an expression of joy. Everyone, come and celebrate with me. Come to the, my wedding ceremony for I have found a treasure that is beyond description. I have found a love that you have to come and see for yourself. Or as Song of Solomon 3, 4 says, I have found the one whom my soul loves. Come to the ceremony and celebrate this great treasure that I have found. I am so filled with joy in my newfound treasure, my wife, my bride, that I have to praise her and express her and share this opportunity, this moment, this, this celebration with you. So come to my wedding and see and come and share in my joy. That's what a wedding is. Praise of your treasure. And the only way anyone will know to come and share in your joy is if you express to them your praise of the one whom your soul loves. Now take that idea 
and apply it to God. It's the reason, I mean, the relationship, our relationship, the relationship we have between our relationship with Jesus is, is directly correlated to a husband and wife's relationship. It's all throughout scripture. The, the idea of a wedding, like in the end, we're going to have this wedding ceremony with Christ, right? And then Paul uses the idea of a wedding as a great illustration of our relationship with Jesus and the church, Jesus and the church. And so this wedding concept is very biblical. And the whole reason we celebrate these weddings is because because our, our spouse is supposed to be this great treasure we found and we want to celebrate that. And in the joy of the treasure we found, we praise that person in a ceremony. That's what Sunday morning church is all about. We come together to celebrate God, the joy that has filled us up all week, we bring it here and we burst at the seams with praise. That's why we start with songs. That's so supposed to be your Christian life, that God is... Like, like, a, like a wife is to the husband, so Jesus is to the believer. Such a great treasure and great joy that we burst at the seams with praise. So when David says, shout for joy over your salvation, he means shout for joy. Express it verbally, physically, emotionally. Show it. Reveal it. Tell people about it. Express in any way that brings you pleasure in him. He means let joy be so full and let God keep pouring and let us take the excess joy that is overflowing and let us burst from the seams with expressions of praise. From singing songs to giving to serving to sharing the gospel with those who don't know or don't have our treasure who is Jesus. All of these are ways for us to praise God from the joy that is within us that he continues to pour into us. And it all finds its roots in his salvation. The reason we rejoice and shout over our salvation is not just because we get eternity without sin or, or eternity without problems or even that we get these perfect new bodies and minds and hearts, but that we get God. That's the joy of our salvation, that you get God. I mean, I know, for, for those of you who think maybe, you know, hey, you know what I can't wait for? A perfect body. I look at like models, you know, these guys who just have like these perfect abs and they're perfectly fit and, and they're just like, they're like the perfect example of a perfect human body. And I'm like, I kind of want to be, look like that a little bit. <laughs> Obviously not enough to do anything about it. But <laughs> That's a different story for a different day. Um, but then I look at them and I go, like, I, I do want that. And I have pursued that in my life. And I have been, had been at points where I have gone on a diet and worked out a lot and I, and I, I gained muscle and lost fat. And I was starting, you know, I look in the mirror and I'm like, all right, I, I like what I'm seeing. Okay, this is going in the right direction. And as I got to, like, my goal weight, I remember looking in the mirror one day and going, eh. <laughs> you know, like... I mean, yeah, I'm happier with my body, but I'm not happier. You know, it didn't bring me incredible joy. I'm telling you that when you get to heaven and you've got this new body, you're not going to go, ha ha, finally, this is everything I've ever wanted. I look just like the models, even better. And there's no sin in this body. Woo, this is all I've ever wanted. I'm finally there. I finally arrived. This is the whole goal of my existence, to look like this. That's not where your joy is going to be. 
You're going to get to heaven and go, yeah, this is great, but where's Jesus? And he's going to be like, I'm right here, everywhere, always with you. And you're going to be like, yes, that's our joy. He's our joy. He's our treasure. That's what we look forward to. That's what salvation is. You get God. That's the gospel. You get Jesus. You get God. The good news is you get God. That's our joy. And God is the greatest treasure, so he brings us the greatest pleasure and the greatest joy. And since his dependability and his faithfulness never end, that means that joy never stops flowing and we should never stop praising him and depending on him and trusting in him and going to him and relying on him and seeking him and loving him and growing in him and reading about him and praying to him and singing songs to him. Every aspect of your life Every detail of every moment of your day should be filled with opportunities to express joy in him. Like I said, I think it was last week, it doesn't have to be like every single moment you're just like take a break and go, okay, I'm going to spend 20 minutes worshiping God for this cup of coffee that I enjoy. But there are opportunities in every moment to just be grateful and thankful to God and show your dependence on him. I know a guy who says every time he gets his paycheck, he goes, God has provided again. That's his response. It's not this big ordeal. It doesn't like throw a party and have this big celebration. He just recognizes his dependence on God. This paycheck came from his hard work. But he says, God has provided again. That is dependence on God. That is going to produce joy in Jesus. Jesus shared a parable that expresses this idea of joy and our greatest pleasure. Matthew 13, 4, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered it up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Now, notice what motivated this man to sacrifice all that he had so to buy this field and get that treasure. It was joy. He found treasure. The treasure produced produced joy. And in that joy, he sacrificed everything to have more of that treasure, to possess it forever. Is that your Christian life? Do you find God and go, oh, this is everything to me. I'll give up everything in my life to have him. Sacrifice it all. I mean, with that kind of mentality, that kind of mentality, when, when your church says Jesus commands us to give, then giving becomes a joy, not a, not a burden, not a, some command or rule that I have to follow in order to be holy and religious. And that's not at all what it's about. It becomes a joy because then, then Jesus says, give joyfully. And you go, oh, joyfully, easy. You're my greatest treasure. I'll give you everything because I love to sacrifice anything and everything for you, Jesus, because you are my greatest pleasure. Okay, now serve the church and serve the lost people and share the gospel gladly. But I'm embarrassed. I don't care. I'll sacrifice my embarrassment. I'll gladly go be embarrassed for you. I'll gladly go be uncomfortable for you because you are that great of a treasure to me. I'll gladly serve on a Saturday afternoon workday at the church. Why? Because I'll give up a Saturday afternoon for you, Jesus, because it brings me great pleasure for you to be my greatest treasure. I'll gladly go help that person in need. I'll gladly go pray for these people. I'll gladly read my Bible and give up whatever other thing I was going to do to to know you better because you are such a treasure to me and you bring me so much joy. I just want more of you. I want to obey you. I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to experience you. I want want to be filled with more joy because I love that feeling. 
I don't know about you guys, but there's something about filling up your gas tank at the gas station and pulling away. Don't you feel a little more complete in life in general? Is that just me? Okay, nobody seems to be on the same page as me. <laughs> I don't know why. My headlights were out. One of my headlights was out in my car, and I was driving, and um, it just kind of like all of a sudden, just like in this mindset, like my car is just this piece of garbage junk. It doesn't work. And then Shane just replaced the bulb. It took him like 10 minutes to just replace the bulb. I got in my car. I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm driving a brand new vehicle. I don't know why. And then you fill it up with gas. And you're like, oh, my car just feels so like new and full. And I don't know. Am I alone? I think I'm alone in that. Anyways, that's my experience. Um, just that idea of getting full again, it just feels right. It feels like it fits, you know? And, and it's the same experience I get when, like, I spend time in the Word in the mornings and I pray. And I, some, one of the, I don't always spend, like, an hour or more doing that. But sometimes I get kind of carried away and lost in the Word and carried away and lost in prayer. And I'm, like, you know, spend a, I realize you guys don't have maybe that kind of time. Like, I get to come here and that's, like, what I'm supposed to do, right? And, and so, like, I have time to do that, so it's okay for me to spend a couple hours getting lost in the Word and in prayer. But when I do, and it's, like, not intentional and it's just, like, a Holy Spirit thing, I walk out of that moment, I'm just like, I feel invincible. I feel so full and, like, it's not, like, even, like, this, you know, it's, it's, it's this happiness that is just so subtle and peaceful, just feels right. And it's all about how much we treasure God. And that the relationship between how much we treasure God and how much joy we have are inseparable. So then the question is, what does it have to do with the second half of this verse? What does it have to do with this idea of banners? Because the second half of Psalm 20 verse 5 says this, And then the name of our God set up our banners. So a banner serves two purposes. Number one, it gets your attention. You know those, it's like those inflatable flailing guys at the used car lots, those tall skinny things that are filled with air and they go like that, you know, whatever. Okay, those things, what, are they, what purpose are they serving? They're getting your attention. They never stop moving. You can't help but notice it, right? It's the same purpose of God's banners, to draw your attention to them. Now, the author of the psalm, which is David, was king, and as a king, David was... Uh, the leader of the army, okay? So ultimately, they had a commander of the army, but the king was always the leader of the army. Just like in the United States, the, the president is the chief commander of all of our military, right? So David was the military leader, essentially. And so he was very familiar, if you know David's life, a lot of military battles, a lot of victories, very familiar with banners because banners were primarily used in the military context because what a banner did is it showed the other army who you were affiliated with. It showed your allegiance to a particular king or nation. So it drew attention, the banner itself drew attention to who your allegiance was to. And the Song of Solomon 6.4 makes mention of this very reality. It says, this is a Solomon talking to his wife. You are beautiful as Terza, my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Guys, if you don't have sweet talk for your wife, you ought to try this one. Guaranteed to work. It's scripture, it's true. Just go, baby. 
You are as awesome as an army with banners, and she's going to melt, I promise. <laughs> Maybe. You try it first and tell me if it works, okay? <laughs> so banners do two things, all right? They get your attention, and they declare your allegiance. So the relationship between us shouting for joy over our salvation and banners is that the banner is a a visible and physical declaration of our allegiance to him. To plant your banner or to carry your banner is essentially to praise the one whom your banner declares allegiance. You raise your banner, you plant your banner saying, I love this nation or this king, and in this case, I love this God. And so this is why churches have taken this idea of banners and they bring them to their church services and they run around with banners to declare their joy in God. And since our allegiance is to God because he is our great satisfier and our greatest treasure, what David is really saying when he says set up your banners is praise God for your salvation. We ought to declare with outward expressions our joy in him through praise. Our allegiance to God is predicated on him being the most satisfying treasure. So to declare allegiance to him is actually a very easy and joyful task. It should be if he truly is our treasure. But when joy is real and joy is full, it never, it never feels like, like a task, right? It never, it never feels hard to do. When joy is real and joy is full, it feels genuine. It doesn't feel like you, you, you're compelled, like I have to praise God or I have to find joy somewhere. I have to go get happy. I, I have to change my attitude. I have to, that's all very me-centric. I have to fix this. I have to find more joy. I have to be more satisfied in God. I have to praise him more. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to, it, that's law. You're, you're feeling compelled by some rule or some law to do the right thing, to, to find joy in him. And what real joy comes from is not being compelled by the law, not being compelled by rules, not being compelled by some legalistic idea that you have to do this, you have to praise him. It comes from a genuine desire for him, and you will have a genuine desire for him when you treasure him. And that's going to include removing some things in your life that you right now think are treasures. And when we feel compelled by genuine joy in him, we will burst at the seams. And when we burst at the seams, like a wine, like wine in a new wineskin, breaking through the seams, it splatters everywhere and gets on everything. And anyone near you is going to hear about it and see it and experience it. That is what praise is for. So that when we burst at the seams with joy in God, it splatters everywhere. So maybe you're thinking this. I know the gospel. I love God. I get that he's my greatest treasure. But I just don't have that kind of joy that bursts into praise. So how do I get that kind of joy? The answer is dependence. Simply depending on God in everything. Trusting in him, relying on him, going to him, seeking him. 
The more you depend on God, the more he shows you his faithfulness and his love and his grace and his mercy and his goodness and his blessings, the more he shows you the treasure that he truly is. And the more, I tell you, the, the, the place in, in our life that we need him most, the place in our life that we should be most dependent on him is in our sin. Because in our sin is, a, is the revelation of how badly we need him. Because in our sin is when we express when we, the way in which we are least like him. And in being least like him shows our absolute dependence to be like him and our total need for him to become like him. So in our sin, going to God, admitting our sin, confessing our sin, revealing our sin, and saying, I, this is me, God, without you. I need you. And my sin has shown me how much I am not like you. And now show me how much I need you. That's dependence. And sin shows your dependence on God more than anything. So the real how to get joy starts with admitting, confessing, and realizing your sin. Sitting down, and maybe it takes a pen and a notepad, and start writing it down. These are the things that I do. You could even title it, My Sins. <laughs> Maybe not, because if someone finds it, they'll be like, ooh, you're a bad person, right? Because we know up here and in here there are things going on that no one else knows about. And that's where it starts. Admitting, confessing our sins, our, our genuine dependence on God shows up in our absolute depravity of our sinful nature. And when we do that, and we admit it and confess it, God goes, perfect. Now, now that you are in a place where you see how desperate you are for me, because without me, this is you, dumpster fire. You are a dumpster fire without me. We know it. We all know it. We admit it. We know that, okay? We know we're, 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 we're garbage without God. Like when we try to do holiness on our own, it's just mechanical obedience, following some law, it's legalism. It doesn't satisfy God. It's in, anything that doesn't proceed from faith is sin. That's what Peter says. So, so ultimately, when we realize how terrible we are without him, he goes, perfect. You're in a perfect place, perfect place to, for me to show you how much you need me now Watch this. I'm going to give you a solution to your sin. And he pours Christ into you. And in pouring Christ into you, you get filled with joy. You get filled with holiness. You get filled with obedience. You get filled with pleasure and peace. And what God is showing you is his ultimate highest a priority of characteristic that he wants to show you, his holiness. And he shows you his holiness by being merciful to you. Because you come to God and you go, God, this is me without you, a dumpster fire. And God goes, perfect. Now let me show you what I do with dumpster fires. I pour mercy on dumpster fires. And I put them out and I make them new. That's who he wants to be. That's who he truly is. A God of mercy and grace that he wants to show you that in your worst so that you realize without him, I'm nothing and I am completely dependent on him to be something. And that brings us the greatest joy.
Knowing that is the first step. What we have to do is practice. We must practice our dependence and trust in God, confessing our sins that are blocking joy, trusting God that when we confess those sins, he's faithful and just and freely, mercifully, and graciously ready to forgive, redeem, and restore and make new. Trusting in God means sacrificing for his work and his kingdom, believing and trusting that his reward is greater than the temporal pleasure that you get from pursuing whatever earthly or worldly thing you're going after. Depend, trust, believe, have faith in him. That, that is what causes him to show you his perfect faithfulness and dependability and his mercy and grace which will fill you with love and joy and pleasure in him and in you experiencing that. God will be most glorified in you. And that is the satisfied Christian life. Let's pray. Father, we trust, we, we say we trust in you, but I think we certainly lack the amount of trust we want to have in you. So, so build trust and dependence and faith in you, in our hearts, in our souls. And I pray that you would develop in this congregation joy. That we become people who are so happy in Jesus that we burst at the seams with praise and it spreads like wildfire and gets everywhere. I pray your gospel would flow out of this church like a rushing river. Make us people of joy. Satisfy our souls in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.